Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. Revelation 13 is before us. The Apostle John and the Spirit of God have taken us to the last half of the tribulation. The Antichrist will make war with those who worship God. His rule will be over the entire world. The people of the earth will worship Him. And the Apostle John instructed in verse 9, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. A South Korean company has undertaken the task of reuniting a mother with her daughter, but here's the creepy part. This is the creepy part. Her daughter's dead. And this mother wanted to reunite with her daughter in virtual reality. Jang Ji Sung wanted to see her seven-year-old daughter again. She had lost her to blood cancer in 2016. It took the company almost a year to create this simulation. And back in the 1800s, if you've studied history, when the photograph and the motion picture were first invented, it was said to be a way to preserve life after death, said to be man's triumph over death. But a virtual resurrection, this takes it to another level. This is disturbing on many, many levels. This goes further. It allows the mother to touch her hand and they float into the sky into what is said to be a a twilight-toned afterlife. The daughter falls asleep in this virtual reality after telling her mother that she's no longer in pain. I love you, Mom, she says. And I know this, the mother's emotions are real. She later described the experience as a wonderful dream. The daughter's character and personality were developed through extensive family interviews. Let me just warn you that the blending of this kind of technology with real lives, this is not healthy. This is dangerous. It becomes a substitute for the relationships we have among the living. There's a danger of deception here. There's fraud. There's idolatry. There's temptation to believe a lie. See, we're moving into a day when reality is being blended with the counterfeit. A day in which the truth is hidden in darkness and danger of deception is before us at every turn. A day in which it makes it hard to believe the truth that we see with our own eyes. A day where you cannot turn on the news and trust it. You cannot trust many, many elected officials. The technology created for us is now being used to turn against us. And I believe Revelation 13 is here to teach us that just as there will be a rapid rise of the dictator of the Antichrist, there will be also a rise of the second beast, a dangerous deceiver, who will become the world's focus. He will come with the sole purpose of leading the people in the tribulation astray. See, there's coming a day when a great speaker will mesmerize the whole entire world. And the Bible tells us that the ultimate false prophet will have everyone fooled during the days of the Great Tribulation. The coming deception gives us insight into how we can be prepared as believers in Jesus Christ now. I invite you to turn with me to Revelation 13 where we see this man in action and hopefully we learn some things to keep ourselves from being led astray in our day. 
Revelation 13, 11, it starts out by saying, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. The first 10 verses of Revelation described the rise of this political, this military dictator. We know him as the Antichrist. But Satan's final end-time plan will carry twice the punch. It's not just going to be the Antichrist. The first beast in verse 1 came out of the sea. The second beast comes out of the earth. I think the earth is a reference to his character here. That he's a being that comes out of the earth. He's not coming out of heaven. Revelation calls him the false prophet three times in Revelation. The Antichrist will be a Gentile. It could be that the false prophet, Earth's new religious leader, will be a Jew. It could be. We don't know this for sure. But this would make sense because he's described as having two horns like a lamb, probably a symbol of Jewish worship and the religious authority of the Jews. You could see how this could be an arrangement that comes from the mind of Satan himself, with the Antichrist being a Gentile, an Arab, and a Jew as the false prophet. The two could walk in harmony, leading the politics, economy, and the religion of the world. It will seem like the perfect answer at that time to the world's problems. And the evidence of Scripture, it points us to the understanding that the false prophet will lead the apostate church during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. But we're going to see in Revelation 17 that when the Antichrist rises to global power half of the way through the tribulation, that the apostate church of the tribulation will be destroyed. This is what we're going to get to in Revelation 17. Because instead of all the worship of the world on the apostate church, it's going to be directed towards the Antichrist. And the false prophet will survive the destruction of the false church that is under his control in the first part of the tribulation. He will assist the beast in making the transition. And this false prophet, he's smooth. He's a smooth-talking man. He looks like a harmless little lamb. He will come across as humble. He'll come across as gentle. Nobody's afraid of a lamb. Nobody runs and, and is scared of a lamb. It's gentle. It's harmless. And when the false prophet first appears, he'll seem to be all of those things. Nobody's going to be a, a frightened by him. But he's a fire-breathing dragon, John warns. His words will burn you in the end. His character will be far different than that of a lamb. Speaking like a dragon, his words, his message will come from the dragon. See, the satanic doctrine that he will promote will be the deity of the Antichrist. Remember that not only, not only is the Antichrist going to be a political ruler, but he's also going to claim to be who? God. He's going to claim to be God. So he's going to need someone to come along and promote him to the world. He's going to need someone promoting him. A reminder that we must always test what teachers are saying with the word of God. We never base our judgment on how they look, how they appear, even if they come across as nice people, even if they come across as humble people. We look at their doctrine in the word of God. And if you don't want to take the effort to learn the word of God enough to be able to learn the doctrines of Jesus Christ, then here's a, a thought. You better get used to the idea of being led astray because much of what you believe will be based on lies. The first beast 
has seven heads and ten crowns. This beast has one head and two horns like a lamb. The first beast had authority given to him by the dragon. The second beast exercises the authority of the first beast. Because of the Antichrist, the entire world will worship the dragon, Satan. But the second beast will cause people to worship the Antichrist. The first beast will speak blasphemy against God for 42 months. The second beast, the second beast is going to perform amazing signs to deceive the whole world, leading people to worship the image of the first beast. Now, this first beast, this first beast makes war with the saints and he overcomes them. The second beast forces the world to receive the mark of the beast or suffer persecution. The first beast is the coming global kingdom of the Antichrist. He's going to be a a ruthless leader who dominates the world during the Great Tribulation. This second beast is his minister of propaganda, kind of like Baghdad Bob. You guys remember him from the Iraq War? Kind of like him. He's his PR man, like Joseph Gables was for Hitler. He'll make the Antichrist look good to the world. He'll make the Antichrist look like a god to be worshipped by the world. Revelation 13, I want you to notice this with me. Revelation 13 is describing the unholy trinity, the dragon, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. See, Satan seeks to take the place of God the Father. The Antichrist is looking to take the place of Christ. And the false prophet is looking to take a role that is much like the Holy Spirit of God because it's the Holy Spirit of God who leads us in our worship of God. But instead of pointing people to Jesus Christ, he will point people to the Antichrist. In part, as we saw last time in verse 3, that the Antichrist will appear to rise from the dead. We worship Christ because he rose from the dead. Those deceived by Satan will worship the Antichrist because he's going to appear to do the same. He's going to appear to do exactly the same thing. This is Satan's final attempt to substitute a false religion for the true faith in Jesus Christ. This PR man for the Antichrist, he's going to be a smooth-talking man. He's going to be so smooth that people will worship the man who rules them like a brutal tyrant. People are going to fall in line and worship a dictator. They will bow down and worship the man that controls every aspect of their lives. See, the job of the false prophet is to make evil look good. Satan is in the business of making evil look look good. Didn't Paul say this as much in 2 Corinthians 11, that there were false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. His deception is everywhere. Many years ago, I worked at a slaughterhouse. I didn't last long at this job, but I worked at a slaughterhouse where cows are killed, And one of the things that you learn, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about the meat that you eat. You do. It disturbs you for a while. But one of the things that you learn is that it is important to keep the cows from becoming too stressed out. You need to be very gentle with the cows. Because if they're stressed out before their death, their hormones get released into the meat. Their hormones get released, bringing down the quality of the meat. The key is to keep everything in their lives feeling and looking like normal and as natural as possible. You should never yell at the cows. I saw a video on that. Never yell at the cows. You should never use cattle prods. If you can just keep these cows content, keep them comfortable, keep them fat and happy, they'll go wherever they're led. 
Don't surprise them. Don't upset them. And don't hurt them while you're leading them. The best way to do it is not to prod them off the truck, but instead lead them in silence onto a ramp. Then put them through what's known as a squeeze chute. See, it's designed specifically. It's a gentle pressure device that mimics the touch of its mother when it nuzzles. The cattle continue down the ramp onto a smooth, curving path. There's no sudden turns. The cows experience the sensation of going home the same kind of way they've traveled many, many times before. And as they move along, they don't even notice. They don't even notice when their hooves are no longer touching the ground because a conveyor belt slightly, ever so gently, lifts them upward. And then all of a sudden, a blunt instrument, and I won't go into the details, but it's gory. A blunt instrument levels a surgical strike right in the head. And they are transitioned from livestock to meat, and they never even know it. Never aware enough to be alarmed by any of it. And the nickname given to this concept in the slaughterhouses is the stairway to heaven. Please don't break out in music. There are forces at work in the world right now negotiating how to get you fat enough for consumption. Do you hear it? And how to keep you calm enough to lead you astray without a struggle, without alarming you. See, the easiest life out there will be the one when you don't question the narrative that's being given. The easiest life will be the one where you do what seems natural. And the ease of life will seem to be further confirmation that you're on the right path, that this is how it ought to be. You might even feel as though your life situation is progressing up a stairway so perfect, it's as if it was just designed specifically for you. There's danger there. There's real deception there. And this is how this second beast will work. He will make an evil dictator look like a god to be worshipped. He will make the depraved in this world look beautiful. He'll make evil look good. It's the same thing that the false teachers are doing out there today. They make a lie look like the truth. They make depravity look delightful. They dress it up to look so good people don't even realize they will gag on it in the end. Don't be taken in by people with smooth words. Just because they call prenatal infanticide pro-choice, just because they call suicide a person's right to die, just because they call homosexuality an alternative lifestyle, and just because they call immorality with a condom safe sex, and even just because they call the prosperity preaching the gospel, just because they call evil good doesn't make a word of it true. Don't be fooled by their words. False teachers can make evil look good, and they make the right look so wrong. Today, those of us who stand for the righteousness of Christ were described as intolerant, narrow-minded, and bigoted. I'd like you guys to meet Rosea Butterfield. I, I introduced her to you guys once before. She warned about the danger of soft-pedaling the truth of Jesus Christ, especially when it comes to homosexuality. Listen to just part of what she wrote in response to someone who thinks that the church needs to soften the message about the queer lifestyle. Her words, to be clear, I was not converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief. I didn't swap out a lifestyle. I died to the life I loved. 
I learned through conversion that when something feels right and good and real and necessary, but stands against God, our sin nature deceives us. And then listen to this. Since deception isn't just out there, it's also deep in the caverns of our hearts. People are so messed up in their thinking, everything that's being promoted today, that a man like the false prophet could easily convince most of this world today that someone worse than Hitler is God. Notice verse 13. It continues. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down. That's kind of impressive. Fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now you can see when you read this, you can see exactly why the unbelieving world will follow the false prophet. This man will be able to call fire down from heaven. He'll be able to make a statue breathe, speak, and even kill. Satan has limitations, but Satan can perform signs. And he is going to use his power in the false prophet to induce people to worship Satan's substitute for Christ. He'll deceive those who dwell on the earth. Now the image or the statue is related to the abomination of desolation. Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, you remember the passage, he said that the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. This is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. It's spoken of many times by Daniel, first of all, in Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, Daniel 12.11. And then Christ spoke of this, too, in Matthew 24.15. This is telling us in Revelation that the false prophet is going to make an image of the Antichrist. Now, this is an idol. This is an idol that the false prophet will set up, most likely in the temple of God for the times when the Antichrist is not there. The people worship the Antichrist in the temple, but the idol is the substitute when he's not there, when he's not in the temple. He can't be everywhere at all times. He's not actually God. He's a created being. The abomination of desolation will break the seven-year peace treaty with Israel and force the Jews to flee for safety in the hills and mountains. This terrible idol will look just like the Antichrist. But the false prophet, he's going to have such power that he'll cause the whole world, the whole world to submit. Now, if you look at the work of Christ in his ministry, he spent most of his time teaching the people. He spent most of his time teaching the people, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, mentoring his disciples, teaching them the word of God and how it all pointed to him. There were Miracles done, of course, we know that from scriptures. But the sign, what sign did Christ offer the Jews? The sign that Christ offered was his crucifixion and resurrection. The false Christ will be just the opposite. There will be a focus on signs by the power of the dragon. 
You know, and if you look at the work of the apostles in the scriptures and the countless saints of Christ called to the ministry in the last 2,000 years, the focus has always been on the preaching of Christ crucified and the proclaiming of the full counsel of God's word. But it is the false teachers of our day. Again, always looking for a show, always looking for signs, always looking to entertain false prophets, always looking to counterfeit the signs and wonders to gain a crowd, to gain a following. The reported miracles that they do today are designed to gain the gullible people. I'm talking about the health and wealth preachers, the ones who promise you health and wealth and all the blessings you can imagine in return for your money. They urge you to plant a seed by sending in the largest, the largest bill you got in your wallet, the biggest check you can write. Make a donation today. If you do, they promise God is going to make you rich in return. But the only people who get rich are the televangelists that live in these very, very nice homes, three, four, five-story homes, private planes, constantly begging people for money. And some of the most desperate people, here's the part that angers me so, some of the most desperate people, the elderly, the poor, and those who are sick are baited with the false promises to give what they even do not have. These false teachers disgust me. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal. God heals today. Of course he does. But he doesn't need men like this to do it. And he certainly doesn't need your money. Rest assured, he doesn't need your money to do it, to make you well. These men are just like the false prophet. So get out of this mindset, Christians, right now, that everything done or said in the name of Jesus Christ is from the Lord, because a lot of it, a lot of it is not from God. Paul warned Timothy about these type of men when he said of them in 1 Timothy 6, 5, he said, they are men who are men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that the godliness is means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Notice that from such withdraw yourself. In other words, here's the truth from Paul about this subject. If somebody tells you that godliness is going to make you rich, they're not telling you the truth. That's what Paul is basically saying. Peter said in 2 Peter 2.14 that men like this are enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. See, much of what we see in our day is nothing more than deception. It's nothing more than fraud. But the day is coming in Revelation 13. The day is coming when the signs and wonders will be done by the power of Satan, not of God. False prophet's going to tell the world that the man of sin is the Messiah. And he will bolster his claim with these miracles. He'll be able to make fire come down from the sky to the earth in the sight of men. Revelation 13, 15 says that the false prophet was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both what? Speak. He's going to speak and cause those who don't worship the image to be killed. It should be translated breath or spirit in verse 15. Not that he had power to give life to the image. That's not the correct translation. Why is that important? Well, that's important because the Bible does not teach that Satan has the power to give life to an inanimate object. Only God is the creator. Only God is the creator. Therefore, I think what we're talking about in verse 15 is that the image of the beast will be able to give the impression of breathing and speaking. Something that technology, of course, has already developed today. Satan's going to have a hand in this, to be sure. I know Satan's going to be involved. The demons are going to have a hand in this. They, they want to get in on the action. 
And we could see how the technology is going to play a role. But let us be clear about this point that Jesus Christ alone is the creator of life. Jesus Christ alone. Satan has the power to do signs. He does not have the power to create life. People like idols. And we know that demons like to be connected with them. Demons connect themselves with idols to receive the worship and the adoration of men that they so desperately crave. What did Paul teach about this? He said in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, what am I saying then, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to who? To demons, and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Yes, it's true. Paul says idols have no power. Idols have no powers over us. They have zero power, but they become a means for worshiping demons. And that's why they're dangerous. But people will be convinced and led astray. They will worship the image and those that don't, they will be killed. Now, verse 15 is not telling us they'll be killed instantly. It's not that they're going to just be killed instantly. It is telling us that the decree given will be to kill the people who don't Worship, And we could see how some of this will be accomplished. It's found in the last three verses. Pick it up in verse 16 where it says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is six, six, six. In Mexico, there was a powerful 60-second commercial on TV that showed Mexico's long march out of poverty and oppression. And at the beginning of this ad, there were thousands of Mexican people, men and women both, all bound by chains, all strapped with chains to this huge, gigantic boulder. And in this ad, their faces are contorted and their eyes are looking down and they're trudging up this mountainside with chains wrapped around the boulder in their bodies. And this gigantic boulder in this ad is holding them back, pulling them backward. And hungry buzzards are flying overhead and they push forward again, straining, but the boulder slides back downhill and now they're going backwards down the hill. And everything looks hopeless, but suddenly hope dawns. There's hope at the end of this. And one of the men, he just removes his chains. And then one by one, they all stand up straight and they take off their chains. And finally, without any burdens at all, they smile and they start walking up this mountainside, leaving the boulder and chains behind. And at last, they are free. And the music begins to play. Thousands of smiling men and women stride with confidence up this mountain. And so then you wonder, what's being advertised here? What's being advertised? What is the savior and hope for the Mexican people? And in the last five seconds of the ad, a phrase comes on the screen, keep walking Mexico with a company logo. The logo is for Johnny Walker, the world's number one selling scotch whiskey. See today, four bottles of Johnny Walker are sold every second, every second, with some 120 million bottles sold every year in 200 countries. That's a lot. That is a lot. It's all about their campaign to sell a message. But that's the power of marketing. That's the power of marketing. The TV and the tech giants on the internet right now are some of the most powerful education systems ever known to man. 
And we, like those cattle, like those cows, are being conditioned to be slaughtered. It determines what we see, what we think, and what enters our mind. With it, they can control the media. They can even steal elections. Yes, they can do that. The media has been shaping us for years. You know, when MTV first started out, the founding chairman, Bob Pittman, started talking about it. He stated in an interview, he said this, listen to his words. He said, if you can get their emotions going, talking about the teenagers, if you can get their emotions going, make them forget logic, you got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. He's right. Remember the old TV show, Friends? Everybody remember that show, Friends? Streaming now online and still one of the most popular shows in syndication. Very funny at times, but it's not so innocent. A survey found that the characters on that show had a total of 85 sexual partners. And those are just the ones on the screen, not even talking about the ones that they reference off screen. But what does that kind of stuff do to us? I'm going to suggest this. It does more than you realize. See, what the media does is normalize things. It conditions us. If you see things like likable characters, attractive people on TV having sex outside of marriage enough times, it becomes not only acceptable, it becomes something you want for yourself, something you desire. In the same way, the role of the false prophet is that he's going to take the propaganda and he's going to take the media machine of this world and he's going to turn it onto the worship of the Antichrist. Because the world is still religious. Oh, yes, it is. The world is very religious. In Latin America, Catholics are going to Mass in record numbers. There's 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. 1.5 billion Hindus. Even the weird stuff. I mean, even the weird stuff. The occult is growing. In Russia, this is true. Look it up. There's more. There are more occult healers than medical doctors. Scary. 38% of the French believe in astrology. 38%. 35% of the Swiss believe that fortune tellers can actually see the future. And nearly everyone in Japan is careful to have a new car blessed by a Shinto priest. See, the religion of man, it's growing. It's growing. The control of the media is growing. I hope you see it. And it's going to be the job of the false prophet to direct all of this worship in the second half of the tribulation onto the Antichrist. And verse 16 is telling us that the false prophet will require everyone to receive a mark, either on their right hand or on their forehead. Food or clothing, anything you need to buy or sell, food, clothing, anything, you'll have to have this mark. It will force every person in the world. I want you to stop and think about the practical ramifications of this. Every person in the world will be forced to decide to either worship the beast or deal with the penalty. That's coming. Now, this type of control was hard to believe in this country in the past, but the global agenda is now clearly seen for those who are discerning. The lockdowns. The lockdowns, the curfews throughout our country, telling people that they have to be home by 9 or 10 at night because apparently the virus can only get you at night. doesn't make any sense other than it's about control. 
There have been hundreds of explanations for the mark of the beast over the years. It's been said that the social security number is the mark of the beast. The barcodes at grocery stores, it's Fred Meyer. The implantable chips, implantable chips. These are the type of things, hear me on this, that could provide the technology behind the mark of the beast, but they are not the actual mark of the beast. Because in verse 17, it specifically tells us that the mark will either be the name of the beast or the number of the beast. In the days of the apostles, here's where we put this into context. In the days of the apostles, religious tattooing was common to indicate devotion to a particular god. Their coins had the image of the head and inscription of the Roman emperor. Emperor worship was very much a part of the Roman Empire, and it will be a part of the revived Roman Empire. When you offered back then a pinch of incense to worship Caesar, you were given this little certificate indicating that you had done it. You had worshiped Caesar. And that's really all you had to do. It wasn't much. Just offer this little pinch of incense, a token of loyalty. And it spared you. It spared you from death by persecution. And it enabled you to live, to buy, and to sell. And that Christians that refused to do it died by the thousands for their loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's the idea behind Revelation 13. See, the unregenerate will accept this mark as a sign of their devotion to the Antichrist. It will be an act of worship. And if people don't accept the mark, they won't be able to buy anything. They won't be able to sell anything. People will either be forced to worship the Antichrist or to be deprived of the right to buy the things that you need to sustain your life. And at this point in the tribulation, it won't be just toilet paper that's hard to come by. It'll be food that's hard to come by. And the choice is going to be simple. Either worship the Antichrist or face a long starvation to death. The Antichrist regime will force men to choose. Men are going to have to choose between feeding their families and their kids and their wives or dying for their faith. It's a system for absolute and total control. And the technology, you know this, it's already in place. It's already here. It's on our phones tracks us all the time, our watches, our cars, our homes, to let us check out with cash, your food items are scanned, and the money is taken out of your account. Your phone already tracks you everywhere in the world, not just by the cell towers, but by the satellites. When we're out hiking, I can get a satellite signal anywhere in the world on my cell phone, on my cell phone, everywhere in the world. They can tell where you've been and what you purchased from the store. A system has been built for total control, and that is what they want to do. They want to control the people. They want to run your lives for you. They want to enslave you. Do not let them dominate your life. But this is exactly what it's going to look like in the second half of the tribulation. The 144,000 witnesses will have been sealed by God. The false prophet will mark the worshipers of the Antichrist. He's a mimic. He just copies and mimics everything that Christ does. Verse 18, here is wisdom, meaning that with this identification, tribulation saints will be able to understand exactly who the Antichrist is. The number of the beast is 666, probably the best understanding of this, and there's been gallons and gallons and gallons of ink spent over the centuries on what this is, but probably the best and simplest understanding of this is that the number six is one less than the perfect number seven, and so the repetition of six indicates that Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, even though they will claim deity for the Antichrist, they will fall short because they are created beings. They are not. 
perfect like God. Pastor Mike Bro of Rockford, Illinois, he shared a pretty funny story. It was of when his daughter decided to go into mission work. Now, Mike said that during her junior year of high school, his daughter Jody was struggling with her faith. She was struggling. She had questions about everything that she had been taught about Christ, and she was headed down a very, very dark road. But God, God pursued her. She grew in her faith. When she graduated high school, she told her parents she was going to go off to Haiti to serve in medical missions. Her parents questioned the wisdom at this point of sending their 18-year-old daughter 3,000 miles away from home to a country that's infested with AIDS. Would you do that? Poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And Mike told her, do you know, do you even know it's a country that is controlled by the voodoo religion? Do you even know that? Well, Jody went and Mike said it was one of the hardest days of his life was watching his little girl get on the airplane and go off to Haiti. He watched it lift up, not knowing if he would ever communicate with his daughter again. And then one night he got an email, and Jody, Jody said on this email, listen to this email that she wrote, Dad, tonight has been the most remarkable night of my life. I got called out to this hut to deliver a baby. This is not the type of email you want to get. I got called out to deliver a baby, and Dad, I've only delivered one before, and that was with somebody else. I'd never done this by myself before, but I was the only one around. And they called me. And I get to this hut, and there's this naked screaming lady on the dirt floor. And I get a flashlight, and I'm thinking, here I am, 18 years old, and what do I do? And I'm in a hut in a third world country with a naked screaming pregnant lady. What do I do? I have a flashlight, and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm here. I'm here. And to make matters worse... This lady from the voodoo religion walks into the hut, dressed in her red and blue voodoo garb, and began to chant some voodoo incantation in Creole. And she put some kind of oil on the lady's head, and when she started to walk away from me and the woman, she stopped at the woman's belly, and she put some kind of salve on it, and walked the opposite direction all the while, chanting this crazy spell. And I didn't know what to do. She stood at the head of this woman and stared at me, just kept staring at me, boring holes in my head. And when I was getting ready to deliver this baby, I just looked back at her and I started singing. I knew she didn't understand English, but I just started singing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. And at that, Jody said that this voodoo lady just became agitated. She became completely unglued. She couldn't have any of this. She didn't even understand the language, but she couldn't handle the worship of God. She grabbed all of her stuff and ran out of the hut. Now, let me be sure about this. This is not the type of email you want to get as a father. You never want to get that type of email. And Mike said that his first reaction was to get on a plane and go get his baby girl what was she doing in a hut with a voodoo lady in the first place? I mean, that's one of my questions. What are you doing there in the first place? But then he said he started to think about this, about how proud he was of her for living out her faith, her faith with boldness for Jesus Christ. Because she had made a difference with her life. Instead of drifting through her life with no sense of purpose like so many, she put her life and her purpose in the hands of Jesus Christ. She went to serve. She became a servant. She went to share Christ. That's living with boldness because of God living in us. 
One of my favorite books, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 35, it tells us that Jesus said this, forever who desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. People think Christ was talking about salvation in this verse, but he wasn't. It was written to believers. If you look at the context, he's looking to believers talking about discipleship. So Jesus was saying this. He's saying, believer, if you insist on saving your life, if you insist on comfort, if you insist on playing it safe, you're going to miss out and lose the opportunity to really live. Only those who give away their lives for Christ for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ will ever know what it really means to live. You find life as a believer by serving him. What I love right now, and I'm going to say this out loud. Yes, I am. What I love about living in the times that we do right now is that it is forcing Christians to examine their lives. I think it's great. Some are living in fear. I don't think that's from God. Some are standing up like Joshua of old and saying, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Christ does not want us to live in fear. What does Paul say in 2 Timothy 1.7? He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. In Hebrews 13.6, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the power of Christ working in us. The mark of the beast will never be placed on someone whose name is written in the book of life. So if you're a believer in Christ, you don't even have to worry about it. Trust in the power of God to deliver his people. Trust in the power of God to limit the evil on this earth. Even the tribulation is limited to seven years. And trust in him to usher in his kingdom at his time. And then live your life like you believe, always trusting the Savior with his plan for your life. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.